Welcome to another inspirational teaching from the Neighborhood Church. We pray that you be blessed by it. Good morning. Good to be with you on this May long weekend. And it's always good to, to see you, you Sunday people. I'm a, I'm a Saturday person, and so I was, it always feels like a different church on Sunday. You guys are the morning people. Anyway, so we're, uh, it's, it's good to be with you, um, and uh, good to be, have an opportunity to share. I was out at Martinsville this morning, so got to experience Pastor John's uh, schedule, and based on the topic that we're giving uh, this morning, which is, you know, how does the church relate to government, it was, I finished slightly late out there, and so the, the qualm of conscience is, do you speed to church, or do you obey the law and not speak? So anyway, I won't tell you what I did, but we, we got here. So anyway, uh, Romans chapter 13, this is, this is where we're at in our journey in Romans, and it is, it is a, tricky pa- a tricky passage. Uh, it's, I, should, I should back that up. It's, it's a tricky passage for us in Canada, it's less tricky passage for many of the Christians around the world that are in a situation that much more closely resembles Paul's. Uh, but for us in Canada, it's a tricky passage because we can read it wrong because we're in such a different situation from the situation that, that Paul is in and, uh, and is writing in. So let's just turn there. Romans chapter 13, if you have... Bibles or phones or tablets or whatever, whatever you're using these days, uh, let's, let's go there and let's just read through it. And, and we're, I don't think it's going to, maybe it will appear up there, but uh, I didn't give anything. So I want to, you know, we're going to actually look at our text and we're actually going to go back and forward in a few different texts this morning. So let's read the passage, these seven verses, and then we'll, we'll go through it. So let every person be subject or be subordinate to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it's God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong or bad, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject or subordinate, not only because of wrath, but because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. So, Lord, we do pray you help us to uh, understand your word and, and learn how uh, to live it out 
in our lives today. We commit this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is, is to take a look at this passage. And if you may look at this and think this is fairly straightforward. We're just supposed to, as good followers of Jesus, just be good citizens in our, in our country and trust that whoever is in power is in power because that's who God ordained to be in power and that's the way it is and that's the way we should behave as good Christians. And um, that's great if you have a government with policies that protect you and, uh, and you're in a situation where uh, you aren't going to have your door kicked in in the middle of the night and have the authorities come and drag you off. Uh, that's a fine thing. That's, that's good for us in Canada. The, there's a little complication, though, when many of our Christian brothers and sisters are experiencing something different, and, and Paul himself was in a context that was quite different. So what we want to do is we want to we look through this passage sort of broadly. We're going to look at the world in which Paul was writing, uh, and then more specifically even into the, the context of, the, of Rome, the, the Roman Christians that he's writing to. And then we want to look through this passage, and I'm going to take us through what Paul, I'm going to suggest what Paul is not saying, and we're going to look a little bit more broadly at what the New Testament says about, about the church's relation to the government uh, beyond this passage. If this was the only passage we had in the New Testament, it would be It'd be straightforward, it would just be what it is, and we'd have to deal with it. The challenge is that what is written here, at least on a superficial level, is outright contradictory, or at least in tension with, what we find throughout most of the rest of the New Testament, including Paul's own writings. So taking it just at face value makes it a challenge to read what Paul and Jesus say elsewhere. So we want to go through and say, this is what Paul, I think, is not saying, and then we want to say this is what then I think Paul, what we think Paul is, is saying, and then we'll, we'll end with saying, well, what does that mean for us then today? So what we want to do is, is then start with this, this, broader, this broader picture. Uh, in Canada, we live in this world where we have elected governments and we have, uh, we have an, a heritage that, that has Christianity, I'm not going to get into whether Christian nations or not, but, but we have a, a heritage and policies in place that represent Judeo-Christian ethics and values, and we have policies in place that protect us, and so we, we live in this world where, uh, at best, at best as Christians, our government might inconvenience us. It might inconvenience us, uh, but, but we don't really feel persecution, and I was part of a, a, a teaching series as a, at a different church uh, earlier this month uh, where they were going through what it means to be an exile as a Christian and, and uh, different texts throughout the Old and New Testament. And, and one of the, one of the, the speakers there uh, said something I think was really profound. He said that, uh, that the, the loss of privilege is not persecution. And in Canada, what we face so often is the threat of the loss of privilege. It's a privilege that when you write your check to the neighborhood church, you can get a tax receipt for that. That's a privilege. And if that was taken away, that's not persecution. That's just loss of privilege. 
because it's not an inalienable right that as followers of Jesus Christ, our secular Canadian government should give us money back in our taxes because we support the work of Jesus Christ in our churches. That's a nice bonus, but if that's taken away from us, that's not persecution. That's just loss of privilege, and these aren't the same things. And by and large, when we think about our church being persecuted, we think about laws coming into effect that affect the way that I, as a follower of Jesus, want to live my life, and it makes it more difficult for me. That's a loss of privilege, but it's not persecution. Persecution is when you are no longer able to worship, gather and worship together. Persecution is when somebody comes into your home and says, renounce your God or we will kill you or we will kill your family in front of you. This is a real life experience that takes place right now all over the world, in much of the world. So when we read this passage, we want to keep in mind it wasn't written to people like us. We could pretend maybe that we are Christians in Syria or that we are Christians in many, in many African countries which have despots and, and dictators and rulers that make it very difficult to be followers of Jesus. This is, this is a context. So Paul is writing to Christians um, in Rome. And Christianity at the time of Paul, at the time of Paul, they weren't even called Christian. They didn't call themselves Christians. Outsiders called them Christians, little Christs. It was actually an insult name. The little Christs who gather. Uh, they eventually adopt the name, but it was actually at first used as an insult. So the little Christs gathering in Rome, who were made up mostly of Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, but even the non-Jews are non-Jews who have come to accept the God of Judaism. So even the non-Jews have bought into the Jewish package, and then they happen to go beyond what just normal Judaism says about one God, and they say, well, this one God has also manifested himself in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. And so these groups are gathered um, as followers of Judaism's God, expressed in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And so we have this, and, and these, these Jewish, this Jewish faith has already experienced some challenging times in this Roman government. So in 19 AD, um, just, just 20 years after they started the calendar, no, just kidding, uh, in 19 AD, uh, the Jews were kicked out of Rome by the emperor. Uh, they had caused some kind of disturbance. We don't know uh, what exactly the disturbance was, but they had been, they'd been kicked out of Rome for disturbance. Now, Rome boasted being a tolerant government. Tolerance was very important to Rome. We are a tolerant government. And by that they meant we are tolerant of all views so long as they don't impede our own. We are tolerant. We're happy for you to do whatever you want so long as it doesn't get in our way. If it does get in our way, then it will be a challenge for you. And the way that they handled challenges was that they nailed people to a cross. So in 19, the governor Tiberius had kicked the Jews out of Rome. This is the same, or the emperor, this is the same emperor who was in power when a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth 
was nailed to a Roman cross. And do you remember what was put above his head? King of the Jews. Jesus' crucifixion was a political statement. You didn't get, it's an unfortunate translation we have in Luke. Jesus wasn't crucified between two robbers. You didn't go to the cross for stealing bread. You went to the cross for defying Rome. And so that sign above Jesus' head, King of the Jews, was a political statement. And we have writings of these crucifixions. And the crucifixions are displayed, we always just think of them as this sort of crossbeam, but as the ancient writings talk about it, they would nail them up to these pieces of wood in, in dishonorable and humiliating postures as like big bullies. They would nail you up to a cross as a laughing stock, and the intent was to strike fear into the hearts of anybody who would even think about going against Rome. So we have Tiberius, and Tiberius has kicked the Jews out, and he's the emperor under which Jesus of Nazareth has been nailed to a cross, the founder of Paul's movement, the founder of the movement of all these followers of Jesus, has been nailed to a Roman cross. And then just about four or five years before Paul is writing Romans, the Jews had also been kicked out of Rome again. They'd been kicked out, and we actually see this in the New Testament in Acts chapter 18, where Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila, who had been expelled from Rome. And we see this also in secular so Roman sources, where they talk about how, how Claudius, is now the emperor, has kicked out the Jews because of a, instigations under a man named Crestus, which is a, maybe a misspelling of Christ. So somehow, a couple, twice now, in living memory, in short-term memory, the grandparents and the, the kids of the same people have been kicked out two times in Rome. Uh, Jesus, the founder, has been nailed to a Roman cross. Rome was, Rome was not a safe place. And now the emperor is Nero. And Nero came in with all this propaganda talking about peace. Oh, I got my sword in the sheath. It's all peace. But no, Nero was crazy pants, let me just tell you. All right, like Nero, Nero got into power because his mom killed his uncle, who was in power before him, and then within three or four years of this Roman letter, uh, Nero is going to kill his own mother, uh, and then uh, he's going to burn down half of Rome, and he's going to blame the Christians for it, and he's going to punish the Christians, and he's going to do all kinds of things, killing them publicly, lighting them on fire in his garden to have a garden party. Live people being lit on fire. This is how nuts it was. So this is the context when Paul says, hey, submit to the governing authorities. Submit to crazy pants. The biggest irony is coming up because Paul himself is going to lose his head to crazy pants about four years after he writes this. So we need to keep that in mind as we unpack this, this passage. I won't go as long for the other points, but anyway. So let's look back at the passage and see what is it that Paul is not saying. So keeping that, that jolly, cheery context in mind, Let's see what Paul is not saying. So when Paul says this, chapter 13, verse 1, let every person be subordinate, be subject or subordinate to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been ordered, ordinated by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority or resists what God has 
ordered or put into order. And whoever resists, the word resist is also whoever disorders or goes against um, and will incur judgment. So what is Paul not saying here? First of all, Paul is under no illusions that the government is good. Paul is not saying be subordinated to these governing authorities because, you know, underneath they're good people. They're not good people. Paul is under no illusions that they're good people. They're bad people. They are evil people. So he's not saying that. And he's also not saying blindly do whatever they say. He could have used different words. He could have used words stronger, obey words, but he doesn't use those. He uses these words about order and suborder. If you're budding Greek scholars, you can say the, the word comes from the verb form of tasso, um, not tasimo, uh, but, uh, but tasso, which is really about order and all of these different words. They show up four times in these couple of verses. Uh, and so one, as one uh, scholar puts it, it's kind of like picturing the librarian. The librarian has a system, has instituted a system to order the books. By ordering, by putting the books in, the, the librarian is not necessarily endorsing the content of each book that he or she shelves, but there's a system of order. So we need to go a little bit beyond here this passage to get a bigger picture of what the Christian idea of, of the world looks like. If we go over to Colossians, in Colossians, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that God has ordered the whole world. And this is the whole creation story going back to Genesis. But God is responsible for making the world, making any order at all in the world. It'd otherwise just be chaos. So God has put order in the world through Jesus Christ. All powers... And all authorities ultimately owe their existence to God through Jesus Christ. So ultimately, God is behind all order in the world, even when that order has decided to become corrupt, even when the library books have been shelved on the wrong spots on the shelf. The concept of order is bigger. God is ultimately responsible. But where I actually want you to turn is to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because Paul here again uses this same language, the tas language, the tasimos, not the kirigs, um, the tas language of order. And he's talking about the end of the world when it all comes to be. So starting in verse 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead had also come through a human being. For all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ, but each in its own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then it is coming, those who belong to Christ, and when all the, those who belong to Christ come, it's the end. But the end has a bunch of things that have to happen before it's the end. What has to happen? He hands the kingdom over to God the Father after, first, he has destroyed or depotentiated or taken away the power of every ruler and every authority and every power. Paul's under no illusions that these governing powers are good. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, he talks about the, the rulers of this age have their minds blinded and darkened, and, and in 2 Corinthians, he's under no illusions that they're good. But at the end, he's going, Jesus is going to put all of these powers and authorities into order. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies, he has subordinated all of his enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy to have its power taken away is death. For God has put all things in subordination to his feet. But when he says all things are in subordination, it is plain that this does not include the one who put all things in subordination. When all things are subordinated to him, then the Son himself will also be subordinated under him so that God may be all in all. What, what Paul says elsewhere is that God ultimately is responsible for all order from its inception and at, at the beginning and at the end, God is gonna make sure everything is ordered again. We're gonna have a very nice library. In the meantime, though, in the meantime, it's all jumbled up. In the meantime, it's messed up. But Paul says, don't despise order of itself. Be subordinated. And we're gonna come back to what that means specifically to these evil powers. What does that mean to subordinate to, uh, to these government? But meanwhile, keep in mind, God is the God of order and is going to put order where it belongs. So that's the first one. The, the second bit of verses, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. Do what is good, and you will receive its approval. Let's say what Paul is not saying. What Paul is not saying, even though on the surface it seems like he's saying it, but what he's not saying is, listen, if you're good, they'll leave you alone. If you're good, no harm will come to you. If Paul's saying that, then pointedly he's wrong. Paul himself is going to be good, and in a few short years after penning these words, going to lose his head to the very emperor and government that he's writing about right now. Nero is going to lob Paul's head from his body. He's going to be good, and it's going to end with his martyrdom. So he, he, he's not saying that. Um, so what is he saying? We want to go again broader. Let's get the early Christian idea of how do these things relate. So uh, take, a, take a journey to the right here. Um, 2 Peter uh, chapter 2. So 2 Peter chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles, aliens and strangers, this is how you're to perceive yourself in this world, aliens and strangers, to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution. So this sounds very much like, first, or like Romans 13. Whether the emperor as supreme or the governors is sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right, for it is God's will that by doing right you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So here we have a passage that's quite similar, again, to what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 13. Um, and it's saying, 
And, it, and Peter's even more, less optimistic. He goes on to say, basically, this is what it's going to be like when you're suffering. And in your suffering, behave in this way. Uh, Paul here is saying, what is he saying? He says to be good. Be good to these authorities. Uh, well, he's not saying that the authorities are necessarily good, but what he is saying, if I think we find the clue in the same passage, go up a few verses back to chapter 12, just above here. Chapter 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When Paul says, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to evil. Do what is good, and you will receive approval. He's saying, he's set the conditions already as to what good behavior is. And good behavior looks remarkably different from the type of behavior that you would expect to find in the Roman Empire. Good behavior says, when you are persecuted, bless those who persecute you. When you are persecuted, expect God to take care of any type of revenge. Your job is, if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're hungry, give them food to eat. Jesus said very similarly, to bless your enemies, to pray, to pray for your enemies. Uh, so Paul here is redefining good conduct. What do you do in this situation? Behave in such a way, as it says in, in 1 Peter, behave in this good way, in this alternate way, in this newly formed Jesus way, in such a way that you might even win over some people to your side. We say, we, we, we use the scripture to tell us that we need to pray for our, our leaders, our political leaders. And we get that from 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul says, pray for those, pray for the, those in leadership, pray for those in political leadership. The verse goes on to say, so that, so that we might live peaceably so that we might worship peaceably. Pray for those leaders so that we can continue to meet together with peace. And so what Paul is saying here, I think to these Roman followers of Jesus, is don't get participating with the groups that are gonna try to take apart Rome. Don't go up, go, go up toe to toe against this, this government, instead, the governing language here is, as much as it is possible with you, live at peace with all people. Pray for those who persecute you. Do, do what is good in this way. And, and that leads, and then we'll unpack it finally, and then I'll conclude, but the, the last verse, uh, 
here to look at is everybody's favorite because everybody loves to do this, but for the same reason, pay taxes. Who doesn't love paying taxes? For the authorities are God's servants busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is due. What is Paul saying? What is he not saying? Well, Paul is not saying that when you pay your taxes to the secular government that they are going to do a good job of wisely using your money for godly kingdom building purposes. Paul is under no such illusions. So why is he saying pay taxes? What's he really getting after here? And I think what Paul here is doing is he's actually relying on a teaching of Jesus. We don't have very often where Paul is actually relying on Jesus' teaching directly, but here's one I think he is. And Jesus was asked the same question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And when Jesus was asked that question, it was a trap. They were trying to trap him. Uh, Because Jesus had all these followers who wanted him, all Jewish followers, who were looking to Jesus to liberate them from Rome. They wanted out of Roman oppression. And they're looking to Jesus as the Messiah to do that. And so when, when Jesus' enemies asked him, should we pay taxes, uh, they put him in an either-or situation. If he says, yes, pay taxes, uh, then he's going to lose all of these followers. They're going to say, well, then you're just in bed with Rome like all these other Jews who gave up and have compromised. You're not the Messiah. We're not following you. If he says yes to do it. But if he says no, don't do it, then he's guilty of sedition. And then he's on a fast track to the cross. So he can't say yes and he can't say no. So instead, Jesus says, I refuse the framing of your question. He says, go get a coin. And they get a coin. He says, well, whose picture is on that coin? Well, Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God. And in one fell swoop, what what Jesus does is he says, your question is stupid and irrelevant because, because this money, these taxes, these positions of authority are absolutely meaningless in the kingdom that is coming. In the kingdom that I'm bringing, this is monopoly money. In the kingdom I'm bringing, this money has no currency. These positions of authority have no currency They're only good here while you're playing this little game of Monopoly, but they're not good in the long term. They're not good in the kingdom that is coming. And so he just gets rid of it. Pay taxes. It's irrelevant. He he says earlier, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy. This stuff is not worth it. It's not going with you. It has absolutely no value. And what Paul is saying here is, well, sure, pay your taxes and give honor. Give honor to the governor. He's not saying... These elected officials, or in Paul's case, unelected officials, are good. He's not saying they're worthy of honor. They're not. They're crazy. But he's saying give that honor while you're in this system. Again, in chapter 12, at the beginning, in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. It says this world world, implying another one is an option. Do not be conformed to this world. This world has taxes, has crazy leaders, has messed up systems. That's this world. 
What Paul says elsewhere is your citizenship belongs somewhere else. Your citizenship is in heaven. He says that in Philippians, which is a major Roman colony. Your citizenship belongs elsewhere. That's where, that's where your allegiance lies. In the meanwhile, though, do your best to live at peace with all people. In the meanwhile, you give honor to these officials, not because they're worthy of honor, but just because you're stuck in the disordered library system that you're in. We're stuck here. Don't worry. Jesus is coming. He's going to sort it out. He goes on right after this to say the time is short. The time is short. Our, our day of salvation is drawing near. Put up with it. Put up with it. As much as it's in your power, as much as it's possible, live at peace. When they're discourteous to you, be courteous back to them. Meet their wrath with love. He goes on to say after the paying taxes bit, the greatest debt you can owe is the debt of love. Don't owe anyone anything but love. So that's how to respond. So what does that then mean for us today in Canada? Well, I think a couple of things. One is, when we think about this, we, we need to acknowledge where our citizenship lies. Our citizenship belongs to another kingdom where so much of this stuff doesn't matter. Our citizenship belongs elsewhere. Now, we can say that in Canada we have a democracy unlike Paul, and therefore we can get into some moral debates about, well, to what extent do we influence then? We're in a different position. We should be influencing, and, and, and we can influence. That's, that's part of it. Uh, but what hasn't changed is, and, and maybe this will be offensive, but democracy is no more a part of that next kingdom than is a totalitarian regime. Think about democracy. That means you and me. Uh, that means these fallen people, these messed up people. We get to choose what it, and that's supposed to make it better? No. I'm sorry, that's not the kingdom that's coming. Democracy is no greater a system. It's just as disordered as any other system. So democracy isn't where we put our hope. Our hope is on another kingdom. But in the meanwhile, we're part of this system. We do our best to treat it in honor and respect and give that. So that's, that's the, one, the one piece we need to take with it is, is what hasn't changed. It doesn't matter what system we're in, whether in Paul's or our own. How we respond doesn't change. How we respond, as it says in Peter and here in Romans, how we respond is when they're offensive, we meet them with love. When they are hungry, we give them food. And when they're thirsty, we give them water to drink. We act in love, and maybe, just maybe, we'll even win some over to that other kingdom that's coming. Which, and I'm not on Facebook, so I'm not looking at anybody because I don't know what you're on, but let me just say, Facebook has probably not been our friend in the faith. And if I read Paul rightly, and you're one of those people that vent your political positions of one way or the other uh, vociferously and are quite critical on it, I'm pretty confident Paul wouldn't be your friend and he wouldn't like your posts. Instead, owe no one anything but love.
and maybe we'll model something a little bit different that is of a kingdom to come that will influence and change the fallen kingdoms in which we serve. So I thank you for having me out in the morning, and I'll, I'll pass it back over now to Pastor John. We know you enjoyed this teaching from the Neighborhood Church from our Pine House location here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. To touch base with us from anywhere in the world that you're listening, or maybe you're just at the gym or in your car, you can text the word Pine House to 306-800-5296. There you can fill out our digital connect card. Or if you want to give it a distance, or maybe you've been working weekends or just can't make it to the city, text the initials TNC to 705-230-8977. Through that little portal, you can give or tithe or even give to missions. For any more information about The Neighborhood Church, you can check us out online at theneighborhoodchurch.org. God bless you and have a great week.